Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Uh, Let me read the text that we're going to be in this morning. Um, It's not a long passage. I'll read it so that you you have the full uh, context before we even get into... um, Get into it. Uh, So we're picking up in verse 13 of chapter 1. James, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted. Uh, And I know last week we talked about temptation in the great context of of, uh, trials, tests, the the big picture. Um, This is the small picture. So when when this says tempted, it's talking about being tempted in the classic English sense of the word. Uh, Temptation. Open up the freezer and you see a box of ice cream. Temptation. You know, you guys get the idea. He says, Let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. And when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, no changing, he doesn't change, uh, neither shadow of turning, and he doesn't change his mind. He he doesn't uh, shift directions in what he went to do uh, and the things that he wants to do. Uh, That's our passage. Um, Those that study human productivity... Uh, tell us that, that essentially there are three different types of people. Um, there are, first of all, there are the seers, or we might call them the visionaries, the people that can uh, kind of see from 35,000 feet and, and kind of uh, visualize how something is to work and, and see the whole process. You know, those are uh, usually your CEOs, your uh, Steve Jobs, your entrepreneurs, your inventors, you know, those kind of things, the seers, those that have vision. Um, And those are the most rare uh, and probably the most valuable in terms of a human standpoint, the people that can uh, see. Uh, The second is the thinkers. And the thinkers are the people that are into the details. Uh, They they see systems. They see process. They see uh, step A through Z, one through whatever, you know, uh, orders of operations, all those kind of things. The thinkers, um, those aren't the most rare. Those are actually the most prolific um, if it wasn't for them, there would always be chaos and, and the whole thing. So there's the, the, they're the most common is those people. And then the third uh, category, three of three, those are the doers. Now, those are the people that uh, they want something to do. They don't care about details. They don't necessarily even see the big picture. They just want, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I need to move. Give me something to do. Uh, and those are um, uh, good. They, they thrive on action and on activity. What James, the Apostle James, is encouraging us to become more of is that group, the doers. Do it. <laughs> do it. Don't ask why. Just do it. God gets paid from here up. You get paid from here down. So, so, so be a doer of the word. And that is his theme. That is his desire. That's, that's what drove him to write these things. Is, uh, he, he heard so many that were saying, well, we believe. And uh, they were saying, they were professing. They had a profession 
And James says, okay, uh, I hear what you're saying, but show me by what you do what it is, if it's true, that you, what you say is actually what you believe. And so that's his agenda. Now, where he's beginning in this whole uh, thing in his book, Five Chapters, is he's talking about testing and trials. And part of that, part of testing, part of trials, is this area, this arena of human temptation. Uh, the desire for something that maybe I'm not supposed to have or I'm not supposed to do, but I really want to do it. Uh, and that's something that every one of us understands. We understand the whole idea. And he begins uh, this kind of sub-theme of this whole idea of temptation by telling us first and foremost, right off the bat, right there in verse 13, is that when you are tempted... He does not say if you are tempted. He says when you are tempted, because every single one of us is going to be tempted with something at some point, to do something or not to do something that we're not supposed to do. And what he says there, right off the bat, is he says, do not blame God for that temptation. Don't let any man say when he's tempted that God is tempting me. <laughs> in this thing, he says God cannot be tempted and God does not tempt people with evil. Now, why would somebody want to blame God or, or, or say that God did it? Uh, the, number one would be to put the blame on him in some way is to say that he's doing this. You know, God is doing this to me. And he says, no, 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 that's not where it's coming from. God is not trying to get you to stumble, uh, this whole thing. And God isn't even trying to see if you will stumble because God already knows what's in your heart. He knows what you're going to do. He doesn't need to do that. If he wants to know what's in your heart, he just has to look at it. And he sees it. He knows it. So he doesn't have to. Don't blame him. The other reason someone would blame God for their temptation is to try to find some way to justify it. To, to, to maybe in, their, in the back of their mind someday to stand before him and to say, well, I wouldn't have done it if you hadn't tempted me. <laughs> I wouldn't have fallen if you hadn't put that in my path. And, and so because you did that, that's why I fell. And so they're, they're trying to blame God for something that they did. And James is saying, don't even go there. You can't, do, you can't go there. It's not going to work. God doesn't tempt any man. But then he doesn't stop there. He tells us where temptation comes from. And uh, it's given to us right there in verse 14. And it tells us again, it says that every man, and that's every man, we are all, it's not just when it's going to happen, but it happens to everyone. There's not one among us that is free of this. Every man is tempted when, it says, that he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. It tells us there that he's drawn away. And I want you to mark those words because the whole idea is that you have your focus in one direction. And in this sense, it's a right direction. But there's something that catches your attention or your affection or it triggers a desire and you're drawn away from that thing that you were focused on and now you start to look at something that you shouldn't be focused on. You've been drawn away from something uh, in, in, in your life. It pulls your mind and your affection. And it says what that thing is, it says that he's drawn away by his own lust. That is something that he desires in himself and then it says that he is then 
enticed. Now, what we have in verse 14 is one of the most profound things in all of the scripture. And that is, it's the gruesome threesome of temptation. And, uh, you you know, if you... uh, um, That's the title of the message this morning. It's what this whole thing is on. is the gruesome threesome of temptation. And that is that there are three things that when they come together, it is the perfect storm of temptation. The first one that's there is the temptation. It says that every man is tempted. Okay? The temptation is the first ingredient or the first uh, partner, if you would, in this gruesome threesome, the temptation. And that is the thing that you can do uh, or give yourself to that is wrong. That's the temptation. Then number two, also in the verse there, is the word lust. And the lust is the desire. It's my desire for the thing I'm being tempted with. All right, that's party number two. And then party number three, the very last word of the passage, the word is enticed. And that is an opportunity. All right, so you have a temptation, a desire, you know, to do something, and then a desire, and then an opportunity. And if those three things come together, if there's a uniting of those three things, then you have a problem. Okay, the problem is what it says in verse 15. Watch this. It says, then when lust has conceived, okay, when, when temptation and desire and opportunity all come together at the same time, conception happens. And I don't know if any of you in here have kids, but you know that once conception happens, your life is changed forever, okay, forever. There ain't no going back on that. Once conception has happened, I don't care what happens. Your life has changed forever once conception has happened. That's in the human element. The same thing is true when it comes to sin and temptation. When temptation, desire, and opportunity come together at the same time in our lives, conception If we go down the road uh, of what that thing is, there's going to be a problem. It says that when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. That's a baby you don't want. (laughs) All right? And it says that sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And so that's your gruesome threesome. So what then is the contraceptive that is going to keep those three things from coming together. I wish he was a little bit more thorough, but he tells us there in verse 16, here it is. He says, do not err. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Here's what James is saying. Do not let, to to the fullest of your ability, do not let those three things come together all at the same time. If two out of those three things come together, you can, get, you can make it, okay? Because if you have a temptation and a desire, but you don't have an opportunity, then you're going to get through that. You can, you can make it there. If you have a temptation, something you know that you're tempted with, your weakness, and you have an opportunity, but for some reason on that given day, you don't have a desire. I'm not hungry for ice cream, <laughs> you know, then you can get through that. All right. If you have a desire 
and an opportunity, but the temptation isn't there. That's not the best situation, but the temptation isn't there. I'm busy, I'm distracted, I'm doing something else. You're going to get through that. But if those three things come together, you're in for a battle. You're in for a fight, and probably you're in for some problems in your life. So James is saying, do not let, don't put yourself in a position where temptation, desire, and opportunity can all come together. It is not a sin to be tempted. Every man is tempted. That's going to happen for the rest of our lives. It isn't even necessarily a sin to have a desire. It's what we do with that is, is what makes it sin or not. And an opportunity is an opportunity. It's a, it's, a, it's a foreign object. It has nothing to do with us. Okay, But what we do when temptation, desire, and opportunity come together, that's on us. And James is saying, do not err. And so the question is then, okay, I hear what James is saying, but James, could you help me out a little bit? Because I know temptation, desire, and, 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 and opportunity, and I know what it means to have sin conceived, and I know what it means to go down this path uh, and have a process play out in my life because of it. So how do I do that? How do I avoid having those three things come together in my life all at the same time? And I want to give to you this morning a couple of things uh, that you can put in your, in your tool belt, your bag of tricks, uh, in the armor of your mind that will keep you from erring in, in this vein. And number one, that's first and foremost and probably the most important. In fact, if you, if you miss this, the rest of it doesn't matter. The first, the first thing that we must be armed with if we are to not err down this bad path is that we must remember why. We must remember why. Because if we forget why we would fight temptation or abstain from desire and lust or to run from an opportunity to do something that we know is harmful but yet very pleasurable, if we forget why we would do that, then it's only a matter of time before we do the thing that we desire. Because the why is the reason. It's the motive. Now, notice what James says in verse 17, because I think that that's the one thing he does give us, is he gives us the why. He says this. He says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. He says this. He's saying, listen, if something is good in your life, if something's going to be a blessing in your life, if something's going to benefit your life, then that's going to come from God, and he's not going to tell you not to do it. God's not going to ask you to abstain from something that's going to be good for you. There's a verse in the Psalms that says that he withholds no good thing from his kids. He doesn't withhold good from us. If something is good for me, God is willing to give it. If something is withheld from me, it stands to reason that it's not good for me. If God doesn't, if God says, don't do this, if I tell my kids, don't stick your finger in the plug, okay, they're thinking, but it fits. It's perfect size. You know, it's not going to work like this forever, you know, and the whole thing. And, and if I were to say, go ahead, do it, you know, fine, you know, thank you. And then they get shocked. What are they going to do? They're going to turn around and say, Dad, you're mean, right? And then, you know, but God, God doesn't withhold good. He tells us to stay away from that which is detrimental to us. All right? 
Now, I want you to think about Abraham for just a minute, because Abraham, not just Abraham, but Abraham had a, a, a very strong understanding of the why. He lived in Babylon. He lived in Ur of the Chaldees. It was the most advanced, historians tell us, advanced society of his day. And yet there was an emptiness in his life because he wasn't experiencing what he knew deep inside he was created to experience. He had everything he wanted, but he was empty inside. And so he began to look for something greater, and it was in that place that God met him, and God said, I want you to leave the place where you have everything you could desire and go to the place that I will show you. And so Abraham obeyed, and he left, and he literally moved into the desert where he had nothing, and he struggled with famine and difficulty all the rest of his life. And it tells us in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, it's actually just a page or two back. If you're open to James and you just turn back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9, it says that by faith Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with them of the same promise. And here's why he did it. Verse 10, it says, for, that's a reason word, he looked for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Meaning that he, he was desiring something that was greater than what this world could produce for him. And for him, that meant it was worth it to abstain from that which could not ultimately satisfy. It says down in verse 13, same chapter, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Meaning that the things that were yet to come, the things that Abraham would experience after this life were, was over, were so real to him that it was worth it to abstain from worldly pleasures and lusts that would hinder or diminish his experience in eternity. Not just Abraham, but Moses. In the same chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, it says uh, in verse 24 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Moses, when he came to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now that's a high honor. In that society, that would be the highest you could go for him. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. In other words, the, the writer is recognizing that Moses knew that to embrace that title and the lifestyle that went along with it was going to mean to live a sinful lifestyle in this world. And he chose that he would rather suffer affliction in this life with the people of God, than to enjoy the pleasures of those sin for a season. And here's why in verse 26. Esteeming, that means that he, he had respect for or he knew it was better, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of reward or to the repayment of what he would receive ultimately in heaven. That is understanding the why. 
There's a reason why I'm going to forsake the pleasures of sin. Because there's something that I'm going to obtain that's greater than that if I withstand. And if I forget the why, if I forget the reason in the eternal sense, then it's only a matter of time before I give in. Because if I'm not motivated to do it, the desires of my flesh, the opportunities that come, and the promise of the pleasures that come with sin are too strong to withstand any worldly motivation. Sin makes me anxious. That's not strong enough to keep you from sin. Sin keeps me from sleeping. That's not strong enough to keep you from sin. Sin keeps my family together. I'm sorry. No, sin does not keep my family together. No, no, it doesn't. Abstaining from sin keeps my family together. That's not strong enough to keep you from sin. There is one thing that's strong enough to keep you from sin, and that is having a spirit birth vision of that which awaits you in eternity and the prize that abstaining from sin will ultimately win you in that time. That's strong enough. If you forget the why, you will fall. That's why James doesn't go any further than that in his explanation. He says, Do not err. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, meaning that the reward will be the same for you as it is for anyone else who chooses to abstain. The why is paramount. If you lose that, nothing else matters. Now, if you have that, there are some other things that you can do (laughs) to keep you from erring and having this gruesome threesome (laughs) happen uh, in your life. I think the best example of it is in the Old Testament book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 39. Turn there in your Bibles if you have it. Because there's no greater illustration in the pages of Scripture of a man who withstood temptation than Joseph. And, And when you see how Joseph fought off a very powerful temptation as a young man, you realize that he thought things through, that he had some mechanisms in place, that he was one who understood why it was important for him. To, to, to abstain from sin, and then he used the tools that he had been equipped with, and he fought off the temptation well. And, and I love the example that he gives to us. If uh, Just as a little bit of a background, um, for, for those of you that you, know, you don't know the story or something, or you want a little bit of an on-ramp to understand, Joseph was 17 years old, and he had been sold by his brothers as a slave in Egypt. They were all living in Canaan. He had been sold as a slave in Egypt. He was isolated. He was alone. He had no family. He had no church. He had no pastor. He had no mentor. He had nothing. All he had was the foundation of the truths of God that had been given to him by his father Jacob. He didn't even speak the language of the Egyptians. All he had was the spirit of God and the truth of God and the person of God with him in Egypt. 17 years old, and now he finds himself working for a man named Potiphar, and he's the chief steward in Potiphar's house. He's worked himself up through the ranks, and now he has some authority. He has a little bit of liberty. He's got some privilege, and he just so happens to be a very good-looking young man, competent, powerful, good-looking, competent young man. You can see where this is going. Watch what happens in verse 7 of chapter 39. It says that it came to pass after these things 
that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. Now, there is not a more powerful temptation in all of the world than a woman, most likely attractive, coming to a 17-year-old young man who is in the prime of learning how to deal with those powerful hormones and temptations. No more powerful temptation than this. He could get away with it. It would be unknown. He could excuse it. He could blame God. He could say, God, if you hadn't put me in this position, if you hadn't allowed my brothers to sell me, God, I, I'm gonna, I need some relief. He had every reason in the world to justify this. And by the way, in this right here is the second step. Not only is remember the why important in fighting off temptation, but the second thing is understand the problem. Know, know where, know where you are most likely to be tempted. Because every one of us will be tempted, but not every one of us is tempted in the same way. Some of us are tempted by greed, covetousness, a desire for money or things, possessions. Some of us are tempted by power, prominence, pride, recognition. Some of us are tempted sexually. Some of us are tempted with substances or feelings, things that we can do to ourselves. Every one of us is tempted, but we're tempted in different ways. And, and, and there's many temptations that don't fall under any of those categories that I just listed. And if you don't know your own area of weakness, you're at a disadvantage. It's important that you and I know where our problem area is because that's how we know what to avoid. If you don't know what it is, then you won't know what to avoid. Sometimes I, I talk to uh, people, actually frequently I talk to people, and they say, why isn't God giving me victory in my area of greatest weakness? It seems like there were some sins when I got saved that it was like God flipped a switch and they were gone. I never thought about it again. But there's others that I can't get over it. I can't get past it. Why doesn't he give me the victory in that area? I'll tell you one of the reasons. It's so that you'll know your area of weakness. It's so that you'll come to a full understanding of how weak you are and how incompetent you are from defeating or beating the area where you're struggling. That's part of the reason. And, and that's part of God raising you as a son to understand where the problem is. You can't avoid something if you don't know what it is that you have to avoid. And so God will make you feel the power of that sin that it has over your life so that you'll understand that falling therein is going to be a problem. There's going to be some conception there that you don't want in your life. He knew there was a problem, verse 7. She said, lie with me. Problem revealed. Joseph now knows, okay, this is where the guards have to go up. Now watch what he does. It says, but he refused. Oh, no, 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 no. No, I am not going to let temptation, desire, and opportunity come together in this way in my life. I am resolved. I am set. I refuse. That's not going to happen. Mindset established. I set, focused, feet pointed, faced in the direction I'm going to go with my life. I refuse. Not happening. He refused, and he said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master, Potiphar, knoweth not what is with me in the house. 
and he has committed all that he has into my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither has he kept back anything from me but you. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, what he's letting us know there is that he could do it if he wanted to, and he could get away with it. But what he's also letting us know there is that he has rehearsed the consequences of this sin, this action, in his mind before he would have to figure out what he was going to do. And this is the key. This is number three, by the way. So number one is know the why. Number two is know the problem. And number three is to rehearse the consequences of the sin ahead of time before the temptation or the opportunity comes. Here's why. Because when the temptation and the desire and the opportunity come, it is almost impossible at that point to rehearse the consequences of sin. You can't do it. Once dopamine is released in the brain, it is impossible to think about consequences and negatives. You can only think about fulfilling the desire that the dopamine is triggered to satisfy or it's, is triggered in satisfying. And so therefore, if you don't go through your mind and think about this will happen if I do this, if you haven't thought that through ahead of time, then you're at a great disadvantage. Sometimes when I uh, talk with people that are struggling with certain things, I'll say, you know, the most important question that you can ask yourself uh, over and over again throughout the course of the day is it's a, it's a two-word question, real simple. It's then what? Then what? Then what? When you face a temptation or when you face or realize a desire that you have or you think about something that you want to do or Satan just suggests in your ear, why don't you knock back a few? Why don't you... Log on. Why don't you, you know, whatever it is. Ask yourself, just say, then what? Then what? I'll knock back one or two. Then what? Well, probably going to knock back three or four. Then what? Five or six. Then what? God only knows. I don't even know. (laughs) What's going to happen then? Why don't you log on? Then what? I'm going to see something that's going to draw me to see something else. Then what? And then, yeah, then what? Well, then I'm going to feel like, then what? But, but there's more. Then what? Well, then I'm going to get hungry again. And my resistance is going to be weakened and torn down. Then what? I'm probably going to fall again. Then what? Well, if you keep asking, then what? You're going to be on the side of a street by yourself, divorced, you keep it, just keep asking yourself, then what? That's what it means to rehearse the consequences of your actions before the temptation comes. Then what? Just ask yourself a thousand times, then what? Then what? That's what Joseph did. He says, look, this is the situation I'm in. I could easily get away with this for now. But if I do this thing, it will be wickedness against God. It will be a sin against the trust that's been committed to me by my master. And it will ruin everything that I have been laboring to build thus far in Egypt. He refused. Then it goes on to say this, verse 10. It says that it came to pass as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her. He didn't listen to her to lie by her, watch this, or to be with her. 
He did two things here. He shut his ears to the voice of the temptation, and he distanced himself from being in a position where he would be tempted. He built up safeguards and barriers in his life so that he would not be in proximity to the thing that tempted him. If I'm going to avoid the conception of temptation, desire, and opportunity, it is my responsibility to not put myself in the place where it is possible for those three things to come together. If I am tempted by alcohol, it is my responsibility to not be in a bar or to have it in my house. If I am tempted by, and you fill in the blanks in your own life, lest I let someone off the hook by not mentioning what you struggle with. If you put yourself in a place where you can be tempted, then it's on you if you fall. It is our responsibility to build safeguards. Now, do things get through the cracks? And Yeah, absolutely. But it is our responsibility to create. Now, we're going to see. She's going to get through the cracks. Okay? He did everything in his power to not be around her. But she was more clever. She knew his schedule, and she got to where he was. Devil knows. He watches. Okay? But he made the best effort to not put himself in a place where he would be tempted. Well, it came to pass about that time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men in the house therein. And she... So now he's vulnerable. He didn't do this on purpose. It happened. It says that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. This is number four or five, wherever we are on the list here. Final thing that he did is that he ran. He ran. It started way back in verse eight when it says that he refused that he had already made up his mind that this is not happening. And when he found himself in the position where, whoa, desire, temptation, and opportunity are all in the same room right now, whether I like it or not, here they are, he said, I ain't letting this happen. And he ran. Leaving his clothing even in her hand, even though there would be consequences that would lead to his own being accused that would lead to him being in prison. To him, prison was a better outcome than succumbing to the advances of this woman. He refused. He ran. If all else fails, run. You run from the thing that would tempt you. Do not err. It's so very important in this whole thing. Now, this episode in Joseph's life set the stage for what he would become later on. There's an amazing contrast, and you can do this as homework. There's an amazing contrast in Genesis 38 and Genesis 39. In Genesis 38, Judah, who is Joseph's older brother, one of his older brothers, he's the main character of the, the story. And Judah is tempted sexually in chapter 38. He is hanging out with the wrong crowd. He's hanging around in the wrong place. Wrong people, wrong place, bad recipe. And temptation, desire, and opportunity all come together for Judah. He sees a prostitute. He's not been around a woman for a little while. He's a little bit stressed out. 
he sees a opportunity where he could easily get away with it. I don't know anybody here. Nobody knows me here. I'll just give in a little bit. I'll indulge in, in my sinfulness. Doesn't know that the prostitute is actually his daughter-in-law who's setting him up. And he gives in. He goes to this prostitute, daughter-in-law, and she says, what are you going to give me? What are you going to pay me? And he's like, well, I don't have my wallet today, but here's what I'll do. He's like, I have my signet ring and I have my necklace and I have my staff. I'll give you those things that are very important to me. And then tomorrow I'll come back and I'll give you one of the, 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 the sheep from my flock. Sheep, good price? She says, oh, sheep's good price. So give me the collateral. And, uh, and so they, they do their thing. She got what she wanted. She got the ring. She got the staff. She got the bracelet, the, the, the necklace. She takes off. He comes back the next day with his sheep. She's gone. And she goes, ah, let her keep it. Who cares? Okay. Three months later, his daughter-in-law, who is widowed, daughter-in-law turns up pregnant. Judah says, bring her and burn her. Burn her at the stake. She's committed vile sin. And so she comes out. She says, all right, you going to burn me? Here, tie me up. Bring me out. They bring her out. The whole family's gathered around. She goes, oh, by the way, before you light that match. She goes, whose ring? Whose bracelet? Whose staff is this? Because it's by the man who owns these things that I am with child right now. Busted. The Bible says, be sure and know that your sin will find you out. Okay? Watch this. Watch this. Here's the contrast between Genesis 38, Judah, and Genesis 39, Joseph. Judah gave in to his sin, temptation. He erred. He lost his signet, his staff, and his bracelet. The signet is a symbol of your identity. Okay? You would press your signet into the wax. It was your signature. It was your signet ring. It's a symbol of your identity. He lost his identity. He not only lost his identity, but he also lost his authority. The staff was his position. He was a shepherd. It was his authority. The staff is the symbol of authority. Throw your staff on the ground, Moses. This is your authority. Pick it up by the tail. This is your authority. He lost his identity. He lost his authority. And he lost his possessions, his necklace. It represented his wealth. It represented his things and he lost it he lost those three things he got the pleasure he gave in he got what he wanted in that moment but he lost things that were more valuable to him and he was ultimately put to shame you say well what did joseph get because joseph got thrown in prison we're not going to read on but joseph was accused after the passage we read he was accused of rape her testimony was believed over his and joseph was thrown in prison you say what did joseph get for for withstanding the temptation. You read on in Joseph's life. A couple of years goes by. Joseph might have been sitting in that prison for a while thinking, was it worth it? Maybe if I had given in, I'd still be at least in Potiphar's house. I wouldn't be rotting away here in this prison. But in the process of time, when God was done, listen carefully, men. When God was done preparing Joseph for what he had for him. Pharaoh, the king himself, came and got Joseph out of the prison. Joseph was ready and prepared to give Pharaoh the information and the solution that he needed for the present problem. And it says that Pharaoh took his ring off of his finger. 
the signet of Pharaoh, and he put it on Joseph's hand. Then he took the gold chain that was around his neck, and he put it on Joseph's neck. And then he caused Joseph to ride in the second chariot. His identity was established, his authority was enlarged, and he became wealthy. His possessions were magnified. See, when we withstand the temptations of our flesh, we will live to see the fruit of our resistance. And with God, there is no variableness or shadow of turning. Meaning, if he did it for Joseph, he'll do it for you. It's worth it. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Do not err, my beloved brethren. It's on us. Do not let the gruesome threesome come together. And God has given us the crucial contraceptive Remember the why, know the problem, rehearse the consequences of your actions ahead of time, not when the opportunity comes, distance yourself from the thing that you know will tempt you, and when all else fails, run, run, and know this, it's worth it, it's worth it, amen? Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.